Grace and peace be multiplied to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're grateful to be together this morning in worship. As we continue that worship in the Word, can we take a couple moments to bow in prayer? Father, we uh, are here this morning to declare that you are worthy. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our love and adoration. We love because you first loved us. Father, as we continue our worship in the Word, we pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and minds for the truths therein, that you would, by your Spirit, soften our hearts so that we can hear the truth. And Lord, allow these truths to take root in our hearts and bear fruit unto righteousness. Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and we are not in Christ, we ask that you'd make us, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, there is a story that's told during the uh, Civil War period in America's history when a northerner had come to a slave auction and he had purchased for himself there a young slave girl. As they departed from the auction, the man turned to the girl and informed her, you are now free. This young girl didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do, hadn't experienced freedom before. She began to ask a series of questions as she was processing it all. She said, so you mean I'm, I'm free to do what I want? I said, yes, you're free. She said, I'm free to say what I want and be who I want. He said, yes, you're free. He said, so you're, you're saying I'm free to go where I want? She said, he said, yes, you're free. Well, she said, if that's the case, as she thought about it, I choose to go with you. You know, this morning, we're reminded you and I as believers have a similar story. Uh, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, that um, God sent his son Jesus to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. To be redeemed means to be bought out of the slave market of sin. To be redeemed means to be delivered from the demands of the law and the penalty of the law. To be redeemed means to be bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm here this morning to not just remind us as believers that we have been redeemed, but ask this question, if we have been redeemed, if we have been bought out of the slave market of sin and delivered from the demands and the, de and the penalty of the law, how then shall we live? If we've been granted freedom and everlasting life in Christ, if we've been justified by faith and not by the works of the law, how then shall we live in light of the liberty that's been provided for us in Christ Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about this morning in Galatians 5. That's where I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me if you have them. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at the first 12 verses together. As you head there in your Bibles, the letter of Galatians is a letter all about the gospel of God's amazing grace. In the first couple chapters, if you've been with us in our study, we talked about Paul's defense of this gospel of grace as he defended his own apostleship and his authority to preach it. In chapters 3 to 4, Paul declared the true gospel of grace. He said that we are justified by faith and not by the works of the law. That you can't try to be a good person to get into heaven. You have to recognize that no one is good. Trust in Christ and his righteousness, and that's how you get into heaven. So having defended the gospel in chapters 1 to 2 and declared the gospel in chapters 3 to 4, Paul now applies the gospel and answers this question that we've been waiting to consider consider how then shall we live if we've been granted freedom and everlasting life if we've been if if Christ has redeemed us from the from the slave market of sin and delivered us from the the bondage of the law how then shall we live and we're going to talk about that and more in chapters 5 to 6 but we begin in the first 12 verses together how do we live in the liberty that we've been provided would you stand in honor of the reading of the word together Galatians 5, beginning in verse 1, reads this way. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. 
You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even, be, would even cut themselves off. The word of the Lord, y'all may be seated in the presence of God this morning. God sent his son to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. How then shall we live? We've been justified by faith and not by the works of the law. How then shall we live? We are free in Christ. We've been delivered from the, the demands of the law and the penalty of the law. We, we have this liberty in Christ. How then shall we live? In our text this morning, Paul is going to give us a command to obey in the first six verses and then a warning to heed in verses 7 to 12. We begin this morning by talking about a command to obey. Paul begins verse 1 in chapter 5 by uh, telling us this. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has set us free. And do not be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. There are two commands in there. He says, Stand fast or stand firm. And secondly, do not be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. Uh, to stand fast as we consider this command is to stand firm in the freedoms that have been provided in Christ Jesus. To stand firm and to stand fast is, is essentially a military term. You think of a soldier who stands fast and stands against uh, anyone who might stand against them and, and hold their ground and stand their ground. Think of an, of an individual who's alert an individual who resists attack, an individual who is with fellow soldiers in order to stand their ground. And Paul tells us to stand firm in the freedom that has been provided for us in Christ Jesus. You know, during the American Revolutionary War, somebody had famously said, give me liberty or give me death. You know what Patrick Henry was saying when he quoted that, when he said that, he was saying, I would la rather lose my life than to lose my civil liberty. You know, if someone is willing to lose their life for their civil liberty, how much more the freedom that we have received in Christ should we stand firm in? Should we hold on to and, and not let go? You know, what it means to stand firm in the freedom that Christ has provided us is to enjoy the assurances that we've been given as those who have been justified by faith and not by the works of the law. To stand firm in the freedom that Christ has provided us through faith in Jesus, we can hold tightly to the assurance that our sins have been forgiven. We can hold tightly to the assurance that our salvation is secure, not because of what we we have done or what we can do, but, be what, be, but because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross on our behalf. So, so to stand firm is to hold tightly to those assurances that by faith in Christ alone, we have our sins forgiven and we have the security of our salvation. And that's a great blessing indeed. You know, if I could sum up the two religions that there are in the world, they're spelled one of two ways. The first religion is spelled D-O. This religion comes in many shapes and comes in different sizes, but the manner in which you find a right standing before God is by doing this or by doing that. The other religious system is, or the, the other pathway to God is spelled D-O-N-E. That's what Christ has done on our behalf. When Christ died on the cross, he declared to Telestai, it is finished. And so because of what Christ has accomplished for us, we know that we are secure in him. We have our sins forgiven. Our salvation is secure. And so this morning, we're invited 
to stand fast, to stand firm in the freedom that Christ has provided us by holding tightly to the assurance that your sins have been forgiven if you placed your faith in Jesus. That your salvation is secure if you've placed your faith in Jesus. So stand fast. Second command we get to see in the text is do not be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. Uh, maybe a, a w- better way of saying is don't be burdened again by the yoke of bondage. The law here as a means of salvation is described as a yoke of bondage. A yoke is a heavy harness that's placed on the backs of animals. They are expected to carry the weight and to accomplish the work that is going to be done, and that's how the law is described. But the unfortunate thing about the law is it is a yoke, it is a heavy harness that is placed on us if we are seeking our salvation through obedience to the law that we cannot bear ourselves. It's a weight that we cannot carry And it is too much to carry, and and we cannot work for our own salvation because in our sinful state, none of us are perfect and none of us are good enough. And so Paul describes the law as a yoke of bondage that we cannot carry on on our shoulders. And that's why Christ redeemed us. We said earlier in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, Christ has redeemed us, redeemed those who are under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. And so the reminder this morning is don't go back to the yoke of bondage under the law. Don't seek your salvation. Don't seek freedom in Christ or the assurance of salvation by what you do, but trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so the command is twofold in verse one. The command is stand firm, stand fast, hold tightly to the freedom that Christ has provided you. The command is do not be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. Don't try to be a good person to get into heaven. Trust God for salvation, knowing that he died for your sins, rose again three days later, and offers salvation as a gift to you, and you can be assured of your salvation in him. And so that's the command. Stand firm. Enjoy your freedom. Don't be entangled by the yoke of bondage. Secondly, in verse 1, if I could highlight the motivation for the command, why we should enjoy our freedom and live in this freedom is because Christ has provided it. The text says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. What's our motivation for enjoying the freedom God has provided us in Christ by faith in Jesus? It's that Christ has made us free. If you've got an ESV version, an ASB, an IV, the text highlights freedom and says, for freedom, Christ has made us free. In other words, it sounds a little bit redundant, but what, for what purpose did Christ provide freedom? So that you would be free. So that I would be free. So that we would not walk in bondage. Can you imagine, as I told that story earlier this morning, of that man who turned to that girl and said, you're free? Can you imagine after a few weeks, she enjoys the freedom that she's been provided, and then one day wakes up and forgets that she has received freedom, and he has paid for it. Can you imagine if she went back to her old slave master? He might turn to her, that man who who, who delivered her and paid her debt and and delivered her from bondage. He would turn to her and say, the reason I, I paid your debt and the reason I set you free is so that you would be free, so that you would enjoy the freedom that God has provided you and so that you would not go back. For freedom, Christ has made us free. If you have been delivered from the demands of the law and the penalty of the law, why would you try to be a good person anymore in order to receive the favor of God? We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So our motivation for enjoying our freedom and walking in freedom, knowing that we've been justified by faith and not by the works of the law is for freedom. Christ has made you and I free. But I would like to say another motivation is the fact that Christ redeemed us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Christ redeemed us by his precious blood. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 to 19 says this, knowing that you were not redeemed by corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 
If Christ paid such a price, if he redeemed us by his precious blood, why would we do anything other than enjoy the freedoms he has provided us? Why would we try to earn our salvation or put that burden on someone else that we would be reminded and remind others that we've been justified by faith and not by the works of the law? And so the motivation for enjoying our freedom is Christ has made us free. And so we should walk in the freedom that God has provided each one of us. Not only has, do we receive the command to stand firm, enjoy the freedoms we've been provided, to not be entangled by the yoke of bondage, returning back to the demands of the law and the penalty of the law as a means of salvation, obeying the law as a means of salvation, considering our motivation for the command, Christ has set us free, so let's walk in the freedom God has provided us. Paul then, in verses 2 to 4, goes into a series of warnings for those who don't obey the command to enjoy their freedoms. What's at stake if we don't enjoy the freedom that Christ has provided, that we are justified by faith and not by the works of the law. We can't be a good person to get into heaven because none of us are good enough. We have to trust in Christ and receive his righteousness to get into heaven. What's at stake if you go back to the bondage of the law? Paul says it in verse 2. He says, I indeed, Paul, say to you. Paul wants to really get their their attention, and so he introduces these warnings by means of saying, I I, want to talk to you about this. I want you to take it seriously. I want you to to look at me or, or hear these words carefully. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, when Paul is talking about circumcision here, Paul is not talking about the act of circumcision in and of itself, When you read verses 2, 3, and 4, you learn that Paul is talking about circumcision that is used as an attempt to be justified under the law. And so, as we've been reading the letter of Galatians, we're reminded that since Paul originally shared the gospel, there had been false teachers who had come into these churches in Galatia, and the manner in which they deceived the people is they said that faith in Jesus is important, but they said that faith in Jesus is not enough for salvation. If you want to be in a right standing with God, not only do you need to believe in Jesus, you need to be circumcised. You need, as a Gentile, become a Jew, and that first step is circumcision. It's the observance of certain days and diets. It's obedience to the Mosaic law. You get a a taste of what these false teachers were teaching in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Let me read that. In Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Verse 5 says this, But some of the sect of Pharisees who believed rose up again. It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so Paul is saying, if you become circumcised as an attempt to be justified by the law as a means of salvation, Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, if you think that you can add anything to your salvation or to the finished work of Christ on the cross, to think that you can add anything to Christ is to reject Christ altogether. If you think by your good deeds, by your ritual, by your religion, that you can earn your path to heaven, then you have rejected Christ altogether and Christ will profit you nothing. You are not saved after all you can do. You are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sins, past, present, and future. And when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in him, we recognize our sins are forgiven in him alone and not on the basis of what we do. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not even one addition. So to think that you can add anything to Christ or the finished work of Christ is to reject him altogether. Jesus either died for all of your sins and you put your faith and your trust in him or you have rejected him altogether. 
together. Jesus declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. He is the path to the Father. He's the path to everlasting life. He is the path to eternal salvation. And so Paul says, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And so he says, this is what's at stake. Don't go back to the old yoke of bondage that you can't bear on your own because in your sinful state, you could never obey the law perfectly. And so Paul first, he tells us that warning. Secondly, he continues on and he says this in verse three. He says, um, uh, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he becomes a debtor to keep the whole law. So if you become circumcised, Christ becomes no profit for, to you, is no benefit to you. Secondly, if you become circumcised, you become a debtor to the whole law. And as we said earlier, circumcised as an attempt to be justified by the law, you become, you become a debtor of the entire law. Now, this is important and, 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 uh, for us to understand because they thought that, okay, if I obey this command to be circumcised as a Gentile and become a Jew, then my salvation is secure and my sins have been forgiven because this is what these false teachers were, were teaching. And Paul says, let me remind you, you don't just have to be circumcised, you have to obey every law in the Old Testament. You know, the rabbis, they wanted to, they really wanted to obey the law of God in the Old Testament and so they counted every single law and they counted 613 laws. And so if you are going to come under the law and trust the law and your obedience to the law as a means of salvation, you have to obey the law perfectly. But the problem is all of us miss the mark. All of us fall short. None of us can obey the law perfectly. Galatians 3.10, Paul said earlier, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And that's all of us. James 2.10 says, Forever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point. He is guilty of all. There was only one person who, under the law, fulfilled the law perfectly, and that was Christ. I quoted to you earlier Galatians 4.5. Let me read to you Galatians 4.4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Christ was born under the law, but he met all of the righteous requirements and demands of the law, and only through him do we have his righteousness applied to our account. Verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, this can be a struggle for some of us sometimes, because we think about it, okay, if, you know, sometimes people think about it, if, if I just do enough good, shouldn't that counsel out the, the bad that I've done? What if I, 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 I do all of those 612 laws perfectly, but, but I miss one mark on one law? Why, is that, why am I guilty of the whole law? You know, some people struggle with this in their thought process, you know? Why can't my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and God let me into heaven? You sometimes have conversations like that with people. So I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that this morning I woke up a little late and my alarm didn't go off and I needed to get to church quickly. And so I get into my car and it's about 35 miles per hour, but because I need to get to church on time, I got to preach. I take off and I press on the gas and sure enough, there the police officer comes after me. I open my window, and they ask you what they all ask you. Do you know why I pulled you over? And I say, well, officer, I think I was going a little bit fast. And he says, you weren't just going fast. You're going some criminal speeds there. You're going 65 in a 35. That's just not allowed. And I tell him, officer, you got you to gotta hear me out. I'm a pastor. I'm heading to church today. And so you, you, you got you to gotta show me some grace. But I want you to know every other day, I obey the law perfectly. 35 miles per hour? I mean, I stop at stop signs. I obey the law perfectly. Every other speed limit in town, I'm always right. I set my cruise control perfectly. What do you think that officer would tell me? I think he would probably tell me for good reason. Tell it to the judge and sign right there. <laughs> right? Because even though I break the law on that one day and the rest of the time I'm doing all good, to break one part of the law is to break all of it. And Paul says, if you become circumcised as an attempt to be justified by the law, what you are doing is you don't just have to obey that law, you have to obey all of it. And the 
And the, and the impossible thing is in our sinful state, we can't obey the law. We need Christ. And so the law reveals the righteous requirements of God, and it points us to our need for Jesus because it's a yoke of bondage that we can't carry. And we cannot work for our salvation. We need Christ and his finished work to do what, it, what he accomplished for us. And so if you become circumcised, Christ becomes no prophet. You have to obey the entire law. And then Paul continues, verse 4, he says, you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. And so Paul is saying, if you seek to be justified by the law through circumcision, through the observance of diets and days, of rituals, of any list of obedience, uh, obedience to the commands given, you have fallen from grace. Why does Paul say you have been estranged from Christ, you have fallen from grace? Well, because ultimately... To reject the gospel that we are justified by faith and not by the works of the law is, is, is ultimately to reject Christ. And so if you are going to say, I, 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 I don't believe that we are justified by faith, we are justified by the works of the flesh, by circumcision or anything else, you are ultimately rejecting Christ and you have fallen, as the text says, from grace question then people ask, well, are you saying, is it possible to lose your salvation? Well, if we go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. This is speaking of false teachers, those who aren't true believers. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. If you are genuine in your faith, and there have been false teachers who have come in and have deceived you for a time, if you are a genuine believer, you will come back to the truth of the gospel. But if you stray and you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus and don't believe you are justified by the faith but are justified by the works of the law, perhaps your faith was never genuine to begin with. Those who are genuine in their faith, Christ has illuminated them to the truth of the gospel through the Spirit of God who resides in them. But Paul gives this serious warning, and he says, don't try or attempt to be justified by the works of the law. Don't be burdened by the yoke of bondage, the demands of the law that, follow, that are followed up by the penalty of the law. You are delivered from by grace through faith in Christ alone, so don't go back. And so having given this warning about why we should obey the command, now Paul talks about in faith how we are to stand firm in the benefits of what it looks like to stand fast, to stand firm, and to not be... Um, entangled again by the yoke of bondage. Verse 5, this is what the benefit is. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What is the benefit for us as believers if we stand fast in the freedoms Christ has provided us? Enjoy the freedoms Christ has provided us. Are not entangled or deceived by false teaching that would lead us to believe we can be justified uh, by, lead us to, to believe that we can be justified by anything other than our faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Paul says this is the first benefit. It says, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What do we do as believers? We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What does it mean to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness? Well, when we trust in Christ as our Savior and Lord, we're justified. It's a legal term. It means to be declared righteous. Before a holy God, we are declared to be in a right standing with God by grace through faith in Jesus. And so we are justified at the moment of salvation, and we are delivered from the penalty of sin. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is everlasting life. You and I, if we have been justified, are in the process of being sanctified. To be sanctified means that we are being delivered from the power of sin moment by moment and day by day as we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and be conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. So we've been justified, we are being sanctified, and one day, church, we will be glorified and we will be delivered from the presence of sins and the effect of sin all together. And Paul says we eagerly wait for that day. 
We eagerly wait for the day when we will be glorified, and that is our hope of righteousness. We read about in Romans 8, 29 to 30, it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. You and I have not yet been glorified, but God is so sovereign over our salvation that he talks about our glorification if it's, as if it's in the past tense, and we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness when we will, be, when we will fully realize what it means to be in Christ. How do we wait eagerly? There are two applications here. The text tells us first through the Spirit, through the Spirit. Aren't you grateful this morning that God has provided his Holy Spirit as your helper and my helper? Not only did he provide the Holy Spirit to enlighten us to the truth of the gospel by which we were justified by faith, but his spirit is the means by which we rely on it in order to be sanctified and conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And his spirit is the means by which we can patiently and eagerly with hopeful expectation wait for the day when we will be glorified. Aren't you grateful that we have the Holy Spirit as our helper? Not just through the Spirit, but the text also says by faith. But by faith. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So continue to put your faith in Jesus, knowing that as you trust in him and what Christ has accomplished for you on the cross, that gives you the hope of righteousness. And so, number one, the benefit of enjoying our freedom is... is is first here, eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith, but secondly, seeing the evidence of our faith working out itself in love. Paul goes on in verse 6 to conclude, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails nothing. Whether you're circumcised or not, it will do nothing to contribute to your uh, ability to find favor before a holy God or to be a means by which you receive salvation. And so neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. What is the evidence of our faith? It's our faith demonstrating itself through love. A genuine faith will not fail to produce love. Love for God. Love for the good news of the gospel. Uh, love for him who loved us first. Love for the one who has provided us the assurance of, of forgiveness and the security of our salvation and love for others. And we get to see that faith work itself out in love. And the evidence of a genuine faith is that of love. And so this morning, if Christ has redeemed us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, if we have been redeemed from the bondage of the law and have received the adoption as sons, if we've been bought out of the slave market of sin, how then shall we live by enjoying the freedom that we have been provided? And as we enjoy that freedom and stand fast and stand firm, we eagerly anticipate and look forward to the hope of our righteousness where one day we will be glorified as we daily, moment by moment, day by day, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to demonstrate love in our lives. So this morning, if light of the first six verses, what would be our takeaways in light of standing fast and not being entangled again by the yoke of bondage? If I could give you uh, two ways to enjoy your salvation, two very practical ways to enjoy your salvation. We've already talked about it. The first is enjoy your salvation by enjoying the assurance that your sins have been forgiven. Enjoy your freedom in Christ, knowing that you are justified by faith, by enjoying the assurance that your sins have been forgiven. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reason Jesus came and went to a cross was to bear our sins so that our sins would be forgiven. Whether you realize it or not, as you come together this morning, your greatest need and my greatest need in this world 
is not our need for food, our need for electricity, is not our need for a home to go over our head. Our greatest need is forgiveness. The Bible says all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. If we are going to get into heaven, if we're going to spend eternity with God and his people, he is a holy God. We are guilty sinners. What we need, our greatest need, is forgiveness. And if you're enjoying the assurance that your sins have been forgiven, if it's your greatest need, you can also enjoy the assurance that if he can meet your greatest need, he can meet your every need. You know, for some of us this morning, the month of January has been particularly difficult. Uh, Not just an ice storm, perhaps damage to your home, damage to your property, Perhaps there are some this morning who are struggling financially, others who are experiencing health problems. You've gone into the doctor, you're holding the hand of a loved one. Possibly there have been things that happened this past month that have overwhelmed you and have been too much to bear at times. And you say, God, why me? And we can go back to the truth of the gospel and the freedom and the liberty that Christ has provided us and be reminded if God can meet our greatest need and our ultimate need for forgiveness, how much more can he meet our every need? And so this morning, we are going to preach Christ and him crucified. Why? Because when we fix our eyes on the truth of the gospel, we are reminded that we serve a God who's not just sovereign over our salvation, but sovereign over all things. And when we get to a place in our life where we realize, I don't know how to move forward, we can trust in a God who holds everything in his hands and say, I entrust myself to your care. That's what it looks like to live in the liberty that Christ has provided each one of us. Don't just enjoy the assurance that your sins are forgiven, but secondly, enjoy uh, the assurance that your salvation is secure in Christ by faith in him. Um, During the 24 days of prayer and fasting, I would say it has been a, a great joy and blessing to pray for the different requests that have been written down of our church body. And one of the greatest joys that I've had, and I'm sure others have had, is we've had the opportunity to pray, is the prayer for the salvation of those among your family members and your friends, those in your circles of influence who don't know Jesus. And it has been a great privilege to say, I don't know that person, I don't know their story, But as they've written down this prayer request for their salvation, Lord, you know their story and you can bring about salvation according to your power through the Holy Spirit. And so we entrust that person to your care. And what a blessing it is to rely on God who is sovereign over salvation to draw the hearts of unbelievers to himself and use us to share our faith with them in the process. This morning, I pray that you would enjoy the assurance that your salvation is secure. And because your salvation is secure, because you've trusted in Christ, you can share that with those around you who don't know Jesus. And ask God to move their heart, to open it to the truth of the good news, that they can be justified by faith, just as you have as well. And so this morning, enjoy the freedom that Christ has provided. Enjoy the assurance that your sins are forgiven and your salvation is secure. So first, we talked about the command to obey. Secondly, the warning to heed. In verses 7 to 12, as Paul continues through our text, he is going to give a warning about these false teachers. Uh, Paul tells us how dangerous they are and and how problematic they are, how they trouble those that they come into contact with. Paul begins and says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? If I could describe false teachers to you, what characterizes them? The first thing would be they are deceiving. They are deceiving. As we've been talking about week after week who these false teachers were, they were deceiving because they came to the believers and said, we're Christians too. Not only are we Christians, we believe that faith in Jesus is important. And then they twisted and said, but faith in Jesus isn't enough. You also have to be circumcised, do this, do this, do this, do this. And so there are people who will come to you, deceiving you, and say, yes, I'm a Christian. 
Yes, I, I believe in Jesus. Yes, they, they use language that is biblical, but they mean different things when they do. And these are individuals who are deceiving. And Paul tells these individuals using a running metaphor. He says, you guys ran well. You heard the good news of the gospel that you are justified by faith and not by the works of the law. That Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he died, he rose and is coming back again in glory, offering salvation to anyone who would receive it. And many of you had placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, and you ran well. But somewhere along the way, you became deceived when these false teachers had come in. And Paul asks them this question. After he gives a compliment, he gives a correction and a question. He says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, who deceived you? Who deceived you and hindered you from obeying the truth? To obey the truth is to line your mind and your life around the truth of the gospel, that if you are justified by faith and not by the works of the law, you would enjoy the assurance that your sins are forgiven and your salvation is secure. And Paul says, who hindered you? Who took away those assurances? Who, who stole away your freedoms and placed on you the yoke of bondage that Christ had redeemed you from and delivered you from? And the answer should be these false teachers, these people who have come in and have led us astray. And so Paul says, these deceivers. Now, as we walk through Galatians, I often remind us, especially when we were in chapter 3, I think it was, if you remember, Paul began and said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And it's so easy to, to look at these Galatians and say, what fools? I would never be deceived by these false teachers like this who teach that you have to be circumcised to be saved. And may I encourage us to never be so prideful as to think that we are beyond the deception of the false teachers, but that we would be alert, that we would resist attack of the true gospel, and that we would stand next to Bible-believing Christians who know the truth of the gospel and that we would, in community, hold one another accountable, knowing how easily deception can leak in and focus ourselves on the truth of who Jesus is. And so these were deceitful people. Secondly, they were persuasive. Paul says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Paul says, uh, this persuasion doesn't come from God. The one who declares that you are not justified by faith, but by the works of the law, that's not the gospel. God has called you by grace through faith to believe in Jesus. These individuals are putting a yoke of bondage on you. Uh, they are persuasive, but if you notice there, if they're not in line with the truth of God's word, how do you point them out? Well, by knowing the truth of God's word. If you know what the Bible has to say about the gospel, if you know what Jesus had to say, if you know what the, these letters like Galatians have to say, you can point out untruths when they show up. You can point out an error when it shows up. And Paul says they were not of God who calls you by grace. And so they're persuasive. And then thirdly this morning, they are downright dangerous. False teachers are dangerous and destructive because of the manner in which false teaching slowly creeps in and then destroys the church, destroys the truth of the gospel. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven is like yeast. You put a, a bit of it in some dough, and the whole dough becomes infected. And leaven often is associated with evil or sin in the scriptures. And Paul describes these false teachers as leaven. And their false teaching is that which corrupts the church slowly. So Paul says they're dangerous. They're dangerous. Paul goes on to say in verse 10 that they are under God's wrath and are, should expect coming judgment. Paul says in verse 10, but I have confidence in you. Paul turns to these believers and says, I have confidence. You know the truth. You've been justified by faith and not by the works of the law. Yes, these false teachers have come in and, and have led some of you astray, but I've, as I've called you back to the truth, oh, foolish Galatians who has bewitched you and reminded you of how you first came to faith by grace through faith in Jesus, he says, I, I have this confidence in you. Actually, it's in the Lord because God is the one I have entrusted to, uh, entrusted you to his care that you will have no other mind, that you will not believe any false gospel, that you will not be led astray, no matter how persuasive they may sound. You know the truth of what the Bible has to say. No matter how deceiving they may be and, 
how nice and kind they may be and, and they have incredible ways of talking. You will not be deceived. You will not be of no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And so what we're told about these false teachers is they will bear God's judgment. And so this morning, you entrust these false teachers over to the Lord who will deal with them accordingly. And then in verse 11, Paul also tells us that false teachers also stand opposed to the preaching of the cross. Those who preach circumcision uh, as a means of salvation, those who preach circumcision as an attempt to be justified by the law, are those who stand opposed and against those who preach the cross of Christ. That through faith in Jesus, you receive salvation. And so Paul says this in verse um, 13, uh, for you, or excuse me, verse 11, and I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? So Paul is answering a question um, that people have posed about him and said, you know, Paul, he he preaches circumcision when he wants to, when it's helpful for his cause. Uh, he preaches circumcision as a means of salvation, as an attempt to be justified by the law sometimes. And Paul says, that's not true. <laughs> Paul says, if I still preach circumcision as a means to be justified, why do I still suffer persecution? People wouldn't oppose me like the Judaizers and persecute me and attack my teaching and my authority as an apostle if indeed I preach that you can be justified by the works of the law, even circumcision. Paul goes on to say, uh, then the offense of the cross has ceased. I want you to know this morning that the good news of the gospel of grace, that you are justified by faith and not by the works of the law, is offensive to the pride of man. And so when you preach the good news of the gospel, that in your own human ability, you are a guilty sinner deserving of wrath and judgment, people get offended by that. You calling me a bad person? People get offended when you tell them this because the gospel is offensive and tells us of our deep need for Christ, that apart from Christ, we have sinful, wicked hearts that will deceive us into believing we're better than we are into thinking that we don't need Christ and him crucified, to thinking that we can earn our salvation. And Paul reminds us that it is offensive to human pride to preach the gospel of grace to the point that some are persecuting Paul and others for their faith. So if you're going to be a preacher of the cross of Christ, expect to offend some people sometimes not because of the message or the manner in which you bring it. Hopefully you teach the truth in love and you do so by your dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. But no, there are going to be times when you share your faith where people will be offended among your family members and among your friends, but you can be faithful to share it nonetheless and ask God to use that message to draw their hearts to himself. And so the message of the gospel is offensive to some and then Paul concludes with these words and says, I could wish those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. In other words, they would do less harm if they castrated themselves rather than circumcised you. Pretty strong words there from Paul. Paul is saying these people are so much harm that we need to deal with them accordingly. They are dangerous, they are destructive, and I wish that they would castrate themselves instead of tell you you need to be circumcised because ultimately they're mutilating the truth of the good news of the gospel. This morning, we're invited to heed the warning to guard our hearts, guard the truth of the gospel against those who would seek to pervert it, those who would teach that we are justified by anything other than grace through faith in Jesus. Someone says to you, no, I'm a good person and, and, and I'm trying to be a good person to get into heaven. You say, no, that's not what the truth of the gospel says. None of us are good enough. All of us miss the mark. We all fall short. Romans 3, 10, none is righteous. There's no one who does good. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But aren't you grateful that while we were still yet sinners, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
This morning, if I could just give you just a few takeaways as we heed the warning and enjoy the freedoms that Christ has provided each one of us. The first one is this. Abandon your own efforts as a means of salvation and place your faith and trust in Jesus. Abandon your religion, abandon your ritual as a means of salvation and believe in Christ and him crucified. The good news of the gospel is Jesus came from heaven to earth. He died, he was buried. The third day he rose again and he offers salvation to you and me if we will believe in him. He'll forgive your sins. He'll redeem you from the curse of the law. He'll deliver you from the bondage of sin and from the law and the bond, the yoke of bondage under that, and you can experience life eternal. So abandon your own efforts. Trust in Jesus. Admit you need him. Believe in Christ and him crucified and confess him as Savior and Lord. Secondly, adopt an attitude of gratitude as you celebrate his amazing grace in your life. You know, when we think about his grace, it's a wonderful thing to consider how he called us to the faith. But as we consider his grace, may we think about how he continues to sanctify us and, and, and conform us into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, this morning, we are invited to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in all things. As you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, what does it look like to walk in the freedom that God has provided you? I really believe we're going to prioritize his word. We're going to prioritize prayer. We're going to prioritize Christian community and then watch the amazing things that God does. Can we pray this morning? Father, we are grateful for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you for the good news that God the Father sent his son Jesus to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Thank you, Father, that this morning we're reminded that we've been bought out of the slave market of sin. We've been delivered from the demands and the penalty of the law that because of the faith we have in Jesus, we have the assurance that our sins are forgiven and that our salvation is secure. I pray, Father, for those that you've placed around us in our circles of influence who don't know Jesus, that as we enjoy the freedoms that have been provided us, that we would invite others to experience that freedom, to be justified by faith, that they would not continue to seek to be a good person to get into heaven, but abandon their own human efforts and trust in Christ and him crucified. I pray that you would use us to not just pray for their salvation, but to witness to them about the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray this morning for anyone who would say, you know, I've been trusting in my own efforts. I've been trusting in my own abilities to get me into heaven, but today I'm ready to abandon that and place my faith in Jesus. I pray that they can express this genuinely from their hearts. Father, I admit my need for Jesus. I know, Father, without Christ, I am guilty. I'm a sinner. I've missed the mark. But I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. He died for my sins so that I could be forgiven. I confess him as my Savior who forgives my sins. And my Lord, the one I'm going to follow all the days of my life into eternity. Father, allow us to walk in the freedom that we have been given in Christ Jesus, both today, throughout this week, and as we get to witness to others. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.